continuing completed classics. Fulfilling failed franchises. Reinvigorating reviled rehashes. It's the follow-up showdown! With Paul Getz, Travis McMaster, and Lauren Accordion. Hello, uppers and downers, and welcome to the follow-up showdown to Nerds in Quarantine, where we still give worthy second chapters to stories that don't have them. If this is your first time joining us, the way it works is we take a movie with either no sequel or a sequel that, and pun definitely intended here, sucks, and each take a stab <laughs> at coming up with our ultimate continuation that should have been. Now, today's going to be a little bit different. Travis and Lauren have opted out of this episode, and so my co-host today will be some old friends of the show, some follow-up showdown all-stars, Steve Clemens and Katie Hoy. Thanks for doing this, guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks for having us back. Forever and always, as often as you like. <laughs> the movie we are focusing on today is 2008's Lost Boys, The Tribe, the straight-to-DVD sequel to the 1987 cult classic, The Lost Boys. We will have also a guest judge later on, but I will get into that later. So, to start us out, why don't we talk about what our first experiences with the first one are. When did you guys first see The Lost Boys? For me, you could almost say that when I watched it for this was practically my first time seeing it, um, because I, I saw mm -hmm. it years ago, because I loved horror movies as a kid, so I would try to watch all of them. So mm -hmm. I I know I watched it when I was younger, but I really don't remember what my reaction was to it or how much I liked it or anything. So, but I do, I feel like the thing I've always remembered about The Lost Boys is the cover, like that red, like kind of iconic oh, yeah. cover of all of them looking super hip. Yeah, I definitely remember the cover way more than the movie, but I remember the movie. I mean, I don't remember watching it for the first time, but I do, yeah, I remember kids fighting vampires and, uh, uh, the rule that's the first time I heard the rules of like um you can't you have to invite a vampire in was through Lost Boys. I mean, I know those rules existed prior to that movie, but that was my first recollection of that. And yeah, also the first time I, I ever saw a vampire bite someone on the head. <laughs> yeah, they definitely this was um I feel like they took their food to a different level with this. It wasn't it's not just about yeah. sucking blood from the neck or whatever. It's about, like, eating people, almost. At least mm. the way and it's depicted Chinese in the first food. one. <laughs> they ordered Chinese food in it. <laughs> Which I really was like, oh, interesting. <laughs> they eat real food. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, I have so many things to say about that scene in particular. Um, <laughs> my My one note that I wrote down here was, just white rice? Um, <laughs> which they they encourage him to eat it and they even say like how can uh, however many billion chinese people be wrong and then it's just white rice how, and i'm curious for you paul were you way into this movie or what was your history no not not really i definitely i feel like i saw it at some point as a kid my first time really like sort of paying attention to it and feeling like I had absorbed it was was a couple years ago. I remember having um, a really like ultra positive reaction to it back then. And I had a positive reaction again this time, but not not as much. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, I watching things with a little bit more of a critical eye for this podcast in general. 
I watch it similarly, and I remember liking it as a kid, but I also remember being like, is it good? And then when I watched it this time, I was looking for things that I thought could be like, hands down, that's a great thing. And there there wasn't a ton, but one thing I particularly liked that I was like, that is great, is they use that sort of like POV Sam Raimi camera from like uh, Evil, like Evil Dead going through the woods, but it's from the sky. Where right. like people look up and see a horror like flying towards them, but you don't see like other movies. I feel like would have shown the vampires floating there, yeah. and this movie yes. just shows you from the you see the people react to it, and I think that's really good because you don't when they're like running from the vampires towards the end, you don't know how close they are or like um, yeah, and you just want them to get in that house. Uh, and yeah. I thought that was a really effective use of that yeah. specific um, camera technique. I was like, oh, man, yeah. I haven't seen that in a lot of other things. Um, it's got good tension, I would say. Like, it is yeah. well executed for a time when, you know, I'm sure visual effects weren't quite up to snuff enough for them to be able to do some of the stuff they wanted to do. They use a lot of camera tricks. And, and the makeup of the vampires, I thought, looked pretty cool, too. Like, all that stuff. I was impressed by. I agree with both points. I love those shots that are in the sky also that aren't necessarily attack shots, but just show that they're flying yeah. in the clouds. That I, I was just sort of into that uh, as a visual and like, oh, wow, that would be cool. That's like a vampire. Yeah. Th- like, this is definitely a movie that spends a lot of time showing what's cool about being a vampire. And that that would be cool. Yeah. Before we, we, we full speed ahead with this, I guess I need to do, you know, what would normally be two Travis McMaster minutes. I don't know what they're going to be called this time. All goats, cliff notes, that's not a pronounce my name, although it's spelled like it would be. Theo is silent. The more I try this, the more I realize Travis is actually pretty impressively good at it, even though I always give him He's crap. a master. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to give it a go and then we'll see where we're at. And go. Uh, After a divorce, a mother, Lucy, moves from Phoenix, Arizona to Santa Carla, California with her boys, uh, Michael and Sam. Michael uh, follows a pretty girl into a group of what turn out to be vampires who turn him into a half vampire by having him drink the master vampire's blood. And so he starts changing. Sam, meanwhile, befriends two brothers, the Frog Brothers, who work in a comic book shop, who teach him that Santa Carla is uh, ripe with vampires. Empires. Sam figures out what's going on with Michael. Everybody sort of bands together to try to kill the head vampire so that Michael won't become a full vampire, which only happens after he makes his first kill. The girl star who Michael followed into the group is also a half vampire, as is a little boy named Laddie. And so the plan is to kill the head vampire to save all of those people. Uh, They get together. They kill Kiefer Sutherland, who they believe is the half head vampire named David. Um, but it turns out he is not. The head vampire turns out to be a man named Max, who owns a video store and is dating Lucy, their mother. Uh, so they kill Max and everything is okay. Uh, also they live with their kooky grandpa who ultimately kills Max because he knows the vampires, uh, are, Santa Carla is full of them. The Lost Boys, the tribe is about a ex-pro surfer and his sister who move somewhere and when they get there, uh, they go to another famous surfer's party. That surfer turns out to be the head vampire of a new crew of vampires. He takes a liking to the sister, basically claims ownership over her, and kind of hypnotizes her. Uh, uh, Chris, the 
surfers, the main characters, uh, plan to save her is to infiltrate the surfing group. Uh, he kind of does. It kind of works with the help of Edgar Frog. And ultimately, they kill uh, the head vampire and everything's okay. Right? Is that everything? I, 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 yeah. feel, I mean, I, I was running out of time. But uh, I feel like an important plot point is that they that you may have missed is that they're all thirty year olds playing uh, seventeen year olds in uh, the first one or in the, the tribe. In the no, yeah, no, in the tribe. In the, in the tribe. I like it when, yeah. when the aunt. I know we don't want to get too far into this one yet, but when the aunt is like, "How old is that girl? I saw a boy over here last night," and her brother's like, "She's nearly 18. Yeah, oh, <laughs> seventeen. Yeah." yeah. <laughs> I guess it is worth noting that they are living with their aunt as their in an apartment that their aunt is the landlord to, but not really important to the plot. No. Um, Uh, Yeah. Did you mention that the brother and the sister both get turned into half vampires? I can't remember. I forgot that. Yeah, I said that he infiltrated the group, but didn't. uh, Yeah, I didn't. I didn't specify that he becomes a half vampire as well. I don't. I don't, don't think anything in that movie <laughs> matters. <laughs> okay, we'll get in, into the Lost Boys. I guess I'll I'll just start uh, with some some writers' notes about it, and then we'll 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 talk. Okay, well, you know, actually, here's where I'll start. W- which storyline were you guys more interested in, Michael's or Sam's? I mean, I would say as a kid, I was probably more interested in Sam's, but mm-hmm. now this time around. You know, Michael's is <laughs> the whole movie, I feel like, to a degree. So if you're not into that, you're really not into the movie. Uh, but I'm Sam's hands down. <laughs> Michael's perspective is great because you get to see like, oh, isn't it cool to be able to fly and like this stuff? And you want to save this girlfriend uh, character. But for Sam, it's like that moment when he calls the Frog Brothers and they're like, stick your brother in the heart, dude. Yeah. And he's like, no, he's my brother. And like, you're like, oh, this is the movie. He has to save his brother. Yeah. And like, and it's, he's just like a 14 year old kid against a gang of yeah. older. It's like if uh, Stand By Me was just one kid and he had to fight Keith or Sutherland's gang and they were vampires also, uh, yeah. which may have been how they pitched this movie. <laughs> well, I can tell you how it was pitched. The first-time writers of the screenplay, Jan Fisher and James Jeremias, pitched this as a... It was actually going to be a Goonie-type movie where all of the characters, all the main characters, would be fifth and sixth graders. So... And basically, the, the way that they pitched it originally was the story of Peter Pan, but Peter Pan is a vampire. And that and makes sense for the title, then. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> which I yeah. can't believe I never really thought about. But in that original pitch, uh, David was named Peter. Uh, I mean, all the names were the same. The mother was named Wendy. The the boys were named John and Michael. The only one really... That's so I mean, odd that they, that they made the mom Wendy. Why wouldn't it... I was, when I was thinking about this, I was like, why isn't Michael a girl and named Wendy when I watched this movie? And then, like, Sam be Michael. Like, so you did uh, see the, the Peter I, Pan parallels. I assumed because of Lost Boys. Well, the, well Boys. he, uh, he oh. mentioned it last night after we watched it because of the title. He was like, it's called The Lost Boys. Like, the Peter Pan angle is, like, really under-delivered on. Yeah. <laughs> well, so apparently how that happened is, so this movie was bought from these first-time and really overall one-time screenwriters 
Jan Fisher wrote an episode of The Golden Girls, but that's pretty much it otherwise. So this movie, this script was bought as that first iteration and was set to be directed by Richard Donner. But when uh, pre-production lagged, he jumped ship to work on Lethal Weapon instead and gave it over to Joel Schumacher, who hated the idea. And insisted that he would <laughs> he insisted he would only do it if he could make the vampires teenagers because he thought it would be a sexier idea and more interesting. So he changed the names. He yeah. added he added the grandpa uh, and he brought on Jeffrey Bohm, who wrote Lethal Weapon one through three, as well as Interspace, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and brought him on to sort of punch up the script and turn it into what it became. I think a loss like a reinterpretation of Peter Pan as vampires, and that's why they never grow up, is an awesome idea. And I, it's completely different from this movie, but I think it would be really cool to watch, personally. I Well, and what I was going to say, actually, sort of the reason that I asked the Sam versus Michael question was that for me, especially this time around, I mean, I, there are things I like about the Michael section of the story, but the stuff that kept bringing me back, and kept making me like the movie because there was a lot of moments in it where I was like, well, that was kind of stupid. And that was done in a way that is sort of taking me out of it. I was always brought back by these moments of fun where yeah. perspective yeah. is kids fighting vampires, like the dinner scene with Max where they're trying to prove he's a vampire. Yeah. It's so much fun. And just like even lines of dialogue from the kids, that, that was the thing that consistently made me overall like the movie. Yeah, There are things to like about the Michael side, but I think it also carries with it the laughable stuff, the stuff that doesn't hold up as well. As, oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. I, I completely agree with that. And we, Katie and I were talking about that to some extent, about how, like, it's that's the Michael stuff is like the truly dated stuff too, yeah. and I think mm -hmm. part of that is rooted in the fact that if they're trying to make that sexy and that for that part for teenagers, you know, that's the stuff that thirty years later is always going to be laughable in any movie. The like pandering to teens thirty years ago is never going to age well. That's true because cool, the concept of what's cool is always changing. Okay, so my fun fact about the makeup is that the head of makeup, Greg Cannon, had originally a much more elaborate design for the vampires, but Joel Schumacher said, I've hired these sexy young kids and I want them sexy. I don't want monsters. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, and so that's what led oh. to, the, to the look of the vampires. He, he, he was very insistent on the sexiness um he said he's quoted as saying vampires are hot they're the only erotic monsters frankenstein is not hot um <laughs> <laughs> i mean i love that because like this movie is definitely the first big one that i remember is like teen angsty vampires like twilight is kind of a mixture between Anne rice but then because they're teenagers this movie yeah this movie is often credited as being sort of the beginning of sexy vampires at least in cinema for sure so they are sexy and but i feel <laughs> i'll take your word yeah. alex winter appreciates that I, well okay no no no. that's not what <laughs> i guess i i guess i didn't mean that the all the vampires are successfully sexy i guess i just mean that it is notable that that side of the story is yeah. full of sexiness like the for for it's the, like a cautionary tale in yeah. some ways too like it 
Like that, that was the only thematic thing I could even really desperately try and draw out of the movie. Like, I was like, is there anything thematic here? Maybe that. Yeah. It's just some, like, what is the metaphor for? Yeah. I feel like the, the Peter Pan version of it where it's Peter Pan, but vampires would just have been better and more solid because really with the sexy angle, you're kind of making two different movies and it's kind of jumping back and forth between tones. I do like that the vampire stuff is dealt with seriously. It's a kid movie in some ways, but it is also a little bit scary and violent. But the sexy stuff is the stuff that that just stands out as not working as well. For And the first thing, the first example I can think of is when he goes back to their lair, which is very cool, by the way. I love their lair. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Very cool. He goes back to their lair and confronts Star, and she says she can't tell him what happened for some reason, which is never explained why. She can't tell him right then what's going on. And then they have sex. And then he yeah. <laughs> wakes up the next day and the movie starts to move forward again. <laughs> And it's just yeah it's just, yeah <laughs> i guess she well joel schumacher had to get a sex in there and it probably wouldn't have happened if she had like dropped the bomb on him that he was a vampire yeah. <laughs> that's why she couldn't tell him I'm assuming. yeah maybe it was written a different way and they were like uh this isn't working we, we you know what just jump to the sex just <laughs> yeah. i mean star in general especially to be played by jamie gertz who is just awesome kind of a waste of a character yeah so then some actor notes I have on this movie. Obviously, it's the first Corey's movie. So the beginning of that stint of Corey Haim and Corey Feldman tearing up the 80s. But apparently they bonded on this movie because they weren't allowed to go to the nightly parties held for the older actors. So they had to stay in the hotel room (laughs) watching movies. But, and this kind of, uh, this just makes me sad. I mean, a lot of Thinking about the Corys makes me sad. Yeah. But uh, Corey Feldman apparently at the time was struggled with drug abuse. Was was He was fired from the movie for falling asleep on set because he was always coming down from cocaine binges. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah. Uh, but then was hired back once he apologized and, and swore to come prepared from then on and, and then did. So. Oh, poor. That sucks. It's yeah. A story. Yeah. And. Uh, you can kind of tell, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he's great for it. And I think that sort of jumping ahead a little bit into the, uh, the, the tribe, uh, and then even further ahead into the, oh. the thirst. I mean, the Corey Feldman of it all. In the tribe, you really see like, he's got something like, yeah. I mean, like he's, it's kind of sad to look at him in, in 2007 or whatever and be like, oh man, that, but like, I, compared to everyone else in that movie, you're like, well, at least he's like, has charisma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, was, I, well, well, let me backtrack, and we'll definitely get we'll, we'll definitely get to that. But uh, some my favorite fun facts about the Lost Boys. Does do you either of you have a guess for how many times they say the name Michael? <laughs> in the movie. Yeah. Michael. Come on, I'm Michael. Guess... Oh yeah, God, keep your son because that's yeah. so much. <laughs> I mean, maybe like 185. Oh my God. <laughs> I was going to guess um, like 60. Okay, so splitting the difference between those guesses, it's 118, okay, which yeah. is a lot. <laughs> and I mean, like as much as they say it, and as much as I've noticed that every time I've watched it, I still wouldn't have thought it was that much. 
It's so many. Times. It's more than once a minute. <laughs> that's true it's a 97 minute it's movie. basically every 45 yeah. <laughs> it's like every 45 seconds and i guess it added something i mean it, it made it a little bit hypnotic i don't yeah. you know the way they spoke it, to him but i wonder if they must joe must says it must say it more than that in uh in Arrested Development, right? Oh, in, uh, but not 80s per episodes of that show. Yeah, yeah. the minute to Michael ratio is probably less in yeah, that, that than it is in The Lost Boys. <laughs> yeah. The tear running down Kiefer Sutherland's face after he gets burned by the sun. Do you guys remember this moment? Mm-hmm. Yes. It was actually caused by his contact lenses, which were stinging him terribly. I oh. think that is quite clear because yeah. that is exactly what I oh, thought. Oh, really? I was like, Why is he crying? For me, that moment, at least this time around, was very effective. It, it, it like it was just something that to me jumped out because it was like, oh, you don't really see that. You don't see vampires cry at things that hurt them, especially like sun burning them or whatever it is. But I, what I liked about it is it was like he cried and then he laughed maniacally, and I was like, oh man, this guy is. <laughs> this is a complicated cat right here. It's yeah. unhinged, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the movie was filmed in only three weeks. Um, Whoa. Wow. Pretty impressive. That's incredible. Yeah. A week of that no, must be helicopter shots. I think a day shots. of that must be <laughs> helicopter shots because some of them were so unsteady and shaky. We oh. were like, Jesus. <laughs> like, it was obvious, I feel like, that they yeah. just had like one day of getting that stuff. Like, Yeah, the opening of them, the car driving to the house is like, it feels like it was filmed on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> Just thinking about those opening shots where they're they're flying down at people and attacking them. The second sequence of that that they show, which is the couple in the car that they were harassing on the um, carousel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. First of all, I thought that that scene was out of place. It was like, you might as well have put that right next to the security guard. Because it's like... Yeah. 10 minutes later and it's like oh they're still after this couple like why do they hate this couple yeah. so much <laughs> i honestly didn't realize they were the same people i saw that like uh, blonde streak in his hair and i was like i guess that's just like the style in this town <laughs> yeah. yeah there were so many moments watching this movie where i was like is that really what people looked like in the eight late 80s like it just seems so over the top to me but I, maybe there was a, a scene like that <laughs> It does help in terms of making the vampires look iconic, which is good, which is nice. Because it's like, you definitely remember what that crew of vampires looks like. But I also have to comment on how awesome I thought Sam's clothes were throughout the movie, which I did not remember. (laughs) He had such funky, colorful style. Yeah. Even He even had like a a bathrobe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a fun he's a fun character with a lot of uh character just to the way he lives his life. Which everyone is, like grandpa too. Yeah. And even the mom is like, you know, like a a hippie uh mom, which is fun. She's like playing the same mom she did in Edward Scissorhands, just like the sweetest person on the planet. <laughs> that I think that's all she plays. Like cause... No, not Bullets Over Broadway. She's like oh, a diva. Right, yeah. yeah. She's great. She's, I mean, she's good never. Yeah, phenomenal actress. And I mean, she elevates that like her character i thought in particular as scripted could have just been a forgettable mom you know just like a placeholder mom but because she's so wonderful and and in general i think that what this movie has still despite any of its uh 
flaws is uh, just the stacked, amazing cast. And Diane Weist is a particular example, but Corey Haim is so charming. I feel like every line he says is believable and fun and and elevates the movie. But my probably my favorite was, what did you do to my dog, you asshole? Yeah. After the dog attacks the brother. But it does have no, know, but- some fun that stands the test of time, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you are right that, like, I remembered a lot of this movie in retrospect, and it was all the fun yeah. stuff. But everything I didn't remember, I was like, kind of bored by or kind of like well that's a little silly pretty formulaic really too i mean i don't think anything really happens much in the michael storyline that is that engaging overall like it's just kind of like i mean yeah his whole storyline is have sex watch the vampires do crazy things (laughs) yeah Yeah, i mean the stuff that i like in his storyline is when he's back in the fun family setting where it's like he's sleeping all day and like they're watching him go through changes and he's interacting with sam and that kind of stuff it's like what I find so fun is the making it a family comedy in a way, but about vampires. I think there's one thing that stands out with Michael that I think is like actually really awesome personally, which is the um, uh, the train. Oh yeah, track where they're scene, holding on. Which again is like, but that I thought was really cool, and I wanted to ask you, Paul, if uh, would you have let go or? <laughs> okay, I wrote down during that scene because I understand. Well, I, and one thing that stood out to me this time around is he follows star into their group basically because she's so beautiful he's so captivated by her so that's the motivation to get him there um i also really like his style when they're doing the motorcycle race and they stop right at the edge of the cliff and he runs right up to him and punches Kiefer sutherland in the face like i just like his style like i feel like okay i'm with this character i'm i'm you know he he likes the girl he He's followed into this weird situation. But then right after that, he kind of just stops caring about her and starts being taken by this group and how cool they are and wanting to be a part of it. Yeah. Um, And so when it it sort of escalates and builds to that point where they're all hanging, hanging on the bottom of the bridge and the train's going by and then all the vampires are letting go one by one and then he's the, the only one left and it's just, you know, it's, uh, he's stuck basically. And, Really, I, to answer your question, Steve, if I had gotten into that situation, I don't think I would have a choice because I don't think of myself as yeah. even as strong looking as Jason Patrick <laughs> in that movie. So I, you would have fall, you would have let go before the train even got there. <laughs> you were like, oh man, this is. Tough. I, I mean, I wouldn't have climbed down. I wouldn't have done a lot of things that he does. Yeah. Uh, but I did write down that when he's left hanging there and realizes he is not going to, that he's going to die, basically. I wrote down that he must be thinking, fuck, I suck. <laughs> yeah, stupid Michael. If we're getting ready to segue into the next one, it is, it, you know, it is the type of movie that I feel like, it's not a great movie, I don't think. No. Like, it's a good movie, but it, there's nothing spectacular about it. So it's really fascinating to me just how bad I found the next one to be. <laughs> it made me like the other one more, which yeah. I liked the other one. I was like, this is fine. This is fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, without this, we probably wouldn't have Buffy the Vampire. Right. And then you watch the sequel and you're like, did you guys not watch 140 episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer that could have given you like a a beat sheet of how exactly to make this movie because it's been done a million times at this point my transition into the second one was going to be comparing edgar frog the adult to edgar frog the child (laughs) because 
<laughs> what is so fun about that character, the Frog Brothers in the first one, is that they are kids. Like, every single scene with them explaining vampire rules and walking around being serious vampire hunters is fun because they're children, which makes it silly. Yeah. And then yeah. so when you have nothing about that character change in the second one, all of those scenes are so boring. And so, like, just take themselves yeah. so seriously. And yeah, That's they're sad. like, yeah, they're, they're the main action then. <laughs> what was before a fun stylistic choice on how you got all this vampire rules out there in the first one is now just blah. Yeah, and I mean, it's clearly like, I guess when they had the idea for the sequel, the only idea they had is that they needed to bring him back. Like, that was like what it hinges on to a degree. And, and I don't know that that's necessarily true for the sequel, but like, I get it because I agree with you guys in that maybe the first one with the Sam storyline and all of that, it is maybe the, the best part of the movie. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that necessarily means that taking some aspect of that and having your whole entire sequel hinge on it. It's like they really thought all that stuff with Corey Feldman was going to be so funny and just like, and like the, it was just so bizarre to me that they felt like that was enough to make like yeah they phoned in everything else. It feels I, like. and that's yeah, and it makes all of it feel. Well, what I would say is that is the only aspect of the Sam side of the story, the fun side of the story that they even sort of try at in the tribe, whereas the rest of it is is trying to follow up on the sexiness. I definitely think that. Oh, you're right. You know, like yeah, yes. I definitely think that they picked more up on the Schumacher thread of there need to be sex scenes but that's also like a trope of straight to video stuff it wasn't very sexy i didn't think like it was no. it was so oh it just puts a lot into perspective and i think it's good to watch movies like this mm -hmm. occasionally because i feel like we always tend to watch everything with a critical mm -hmm. eye but then sometimes i'm like man i need to go easier on some stuff after i see a movie like this because yeah. it reminds me how hard it is to this movie reminded me how hard it is to make a movie which is definitely an insult i'm sure to it because it's just like you know if you don't have good locations if you don't have there's you know no style nothing to this movie it's like flatly lit but the locations like we we were thinking about the original it's like it's got a cool house filled with a bunch of like antlers and taxidermy yeah. stuff it's got a cool town that's basically one big nighttime boardwalk with like roller coasters. It's got a cool hangout vampire location, this awesome cave that used yeah. to be. It's got style, yeah. the first one. Yeah. Like it actually has style, whereas this one has nothing. Well, and I can't even it. tell where they're supposed to be in the second one. I mean, I don't even know if they say no, the name of the no. town or if it's yeah. supposed to be the same town. I don't think they do. I don't think well, so either. And I know they even, and they make a point to talk about the vampire's lair in the second one and how it's not the mansion. It couldn't be the mansion because vampires like places that are dank and dark and full of human suffering and blah, blah. And then they show their lair. <laughs> right. Like well, I'm like, exactly. My question is, yeah. the, well, what is that? What is that yeah. lair? And then they never yeah. explain it. It looks kind of like a house and kind of like a silo. Or like some sort of warehouse that they got super yeah. cheap that they could pretty much treat like a soundstage yeah. and like dress however I guess they wanted. But the, I felt that way about the house party they go to earlier on. I was like, this house, like where he, the brother is having like sex in the shower yeah. with someone. And that house literally looks empty. Like it looks like, it looks like a house that clearly they found that they were like, oh, we can get this location for like 10 grand for X yeah. time. And like, and it just, it's like the most, it, it's the most unmemorable location I've ever seen in anything. Yeah. The way the movie starts, which is the surfer vampires killing another vampire in order to take his out. Yeah, yes. Was so, 
I, I just don't understand what we're supposed to take from that. Well, I, it felt like at some point in this movie, they forgot about the surfing plot line at all. Mm-hmm. It felt like, and then they started doing like the motorcycle shit. And I was like, wait, isn't this a surfing movie? Yeah. The only surfing plot thread that they followed is that he apparently broke the knee of one of the vampire thugs, the main character, but he was kicked off the surfing circuit because while surfing in competition, he busted out that other guy's knee, who I, he had a rivalry with. Oh, I did not. Yeah. Uh, then And then the oh. main vampire explains, after you broke his knee, we turned him into a vampire so it would heal. Uh, well, this makes the movie so much better, Paul. I wish I had put that together. <laughs> yeah, I did not pick up on that. But yeah, I guess they just, the surfing is so under-delivered on in general. Like, it's just like this thing in the background that, like, occasionally makes its way around. Yeah, also because that just makes me mad because I'm like, again, how old are these people? They're supposed <laughs> yeah. to be, like, 17 and 18 and, like. He's had this whole backstory where he was a pro surfer who like ruined someone else's career and then moved and then moved back to the yeah. coast or something. Like I I really like Yeah. Yeah. I'm just so confused as to where things are in like time and place and Yeah. Uh, I mean the yeah. script is just a, a total wreck. Uh, the only scenes I wrote down the only scenes are that are bearable are scenes in which they're having <laughs> or they're making an attempt at some kind of offhanded breezy dialogue where they're like joking like yeah. when it has nothing to do with the plot and they're just doing something like hey, ooh, that we're having fun we're in this new town like the scenes with the ant are a little bit better attempts at fun that are not linked to the plot because every scene yeah. that is about the plot is unbearable everyone yes. vomiting exposition sort of almost talking over each other oh. to do it oh there's there's one scene towards the beginning that's <laughs> Yeah. Just, we couldn't even we couldn't even hear what was happening. I, I think it was at the yeah, party, they, maybe. I, yeah, where there were characters like I yelling believe, at each other, and you couldn't understand that, either. That, I believe that is the scene where they establish the old surfing rivalry. Because I know what you're talking about. It's he's at the bar, and they start oh. yelling at each other, yeah. and then yeah. and then and then he's like, "Well, let's leave. I'll leave the party." I, so I totally understand why you missed. That storyline, because yes, I agree, that scene was like literally layered audio on top of audio. Yeah. Yeah, you couldn't understand. It was very difficult to understand even a single word either of them were saying because they were talking at the exact same time. Yeah. I've never seen a movie, a scene in a movie like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to give it that credit. It's the first yeah. time I've ever seen that. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so that, uh, let me give you some background on this movie because this is pretty fun. Oh, man. The whole time we were watching it, we could not wait for the facts you would find on this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so we're really, we're really on the edge of our seats. We got So know. this movie was written by Hans Rodionoff, uh, <laughs> who <laughs> also wrote... The Skulls 2, Deep Blue Sea 2, and National Lampoon's Bag Boy, whatever that is. <laughs> so a real tour to force this guy. Isn't The Skulls 2, doesn't it become a, that's like an erotic thriller? Like, or like, isn't that one Seeing of those Seeing as how movies? it's straight to DVD, that's my guess. Because in, like, in retrospect, now thinking <laughs> of all straight to DVD movies, I have had the displeasure of seeing. They all have that. They all have... Actors you've never yeah. seen before and will never see again getting naked and having sex scenes. Like, that seems to be the baseline <laughs> for these types of movies. So, yeah. this this yeah. guy, this, um, this genius, originally <laughs> wrote a script about surfing werewolves titled The Tribe, 
which was churned down by studios, including Warner Brothers, for its resemblance to The Lost Boys. Then, Warner Brothers executives changed their mind when they decided to make the sequel and then persuaded the uh, Rodionoff to alter the script as a sequel, changing the werewolves to vampires. So he didn't even change the title. It just became Lost Boys, The Tribe, instead of The Tribe. Yeah, wow. which I really like because, and then moving into the next thing, this was directed by a man named, actually, I don't know if it's a man, PJ Pesquet, who also directed From Dusk Till Dawn 3, The Hangman's Daughter, which I'm now growing to suspect was once just a movie written by someone called The Hangman's Daughter that was then turned into From Dusk Till Dawn 3. Rebranded. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely like you can. This is the world we live in now, where everything has to have some name recognition. That they will just be like, "Well, we have we have the Lost Boys, so we could just brand it with that, and right. then we can sell it that way." Like it's it's and a Dust dismal Til state of affairs for the industry. And Dust Till Dawn Three also is like a western that takes place like a hundred years before the other ones, so it almost certainly has nothing to do with them. Yeah, right? like well, I didn't know that. Sure. So yeah, it's just the brand recognition. Yeah. The the other movies directed by this guy were uh, notable movies are Sniper 3 and Smoke and Aces 2 Assassin's Ball. So just I mean researching what these people are paid for, these are staples in the straight to DVD world. Yeah. Like this is what these people are known yeah. for and gotten for, which is crazy to me. But I guess maybe it all starts with them writing some script that is then altered into that and then they go oh, okay well i can make, now make a name for myself doing this and that was why i was sad when watching it because i was like oh man did they want to make this movie like i guess for me i was maybe projecting too much onto it and being like oh my god like no one sets out to make a movie like this but it sounds like maybe they do so that makes me feel a lot better actually that like they've just kind of turned this into a career and hopefully they make decent money doing it I, it's good that somebody's working i guess it doesn't yeah it doesn't <laughs> Yeah. Like and it made a lot of money. This this movie, The Tribe. Yeah, what? well, I mean, for a straight DVD movie, but it was Warner Premiere, which I'd never heard of. Warner Premiere's highest selling DVD release of 2008, uh, performing so impressively that they immediately greenlit a third one, and it covered its five million dollar production cost in the first three weeks of its release. Wow. But. I like, though, is that Warner Premiere, though, how many things do they put out, I wonder? Like, is that well, the only thing Warner Premiere put out so that year? They, <laughs> then, or does that mean Warner Brothers in general? Well, Warner Premiere, which, you know, I'm sure, yes, a sect of Warner Brothers. It's like they have, what's their, uh, they have an independent yeah. label as well. It's like, it might be Warner oh, Independent, yeah, I, I think, with something for a right, while. Right, That's That's what I'm thinking of. And so it's like they have that, which is their, like, artistic, sect and then they have this which is their shitty <laughs> sect <laughs> but the warner premiere yeah. itself folded after the law i mean not because of necessarily but after the lost boys three the thirst there was because there were plans to do a fourth installment but then that studio stopped existing and i guess no one else can be trusted with the lost boys <laughs> So wow. Corey Feldman originally for a while refused to do this movie and then was convinced when they changed the script and made him a main character. He was supposed to have a cameo. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. Love... I mean, just the idea that he demanded, he read this script and they were like, could you do a cameo in it? And he was like, 
absolutely not. I want to be yeah. in it way more than just a cameo is shocking. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because a normal sane person would say, right. no, I'm not in it. Yeah. I read your script. Or do it as little as possible. Like, just be like, sure, how much are you going to pay me? And like, yeah. yeah. I'll come for four hours and you can pay me uh, a eighth of your budget. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I don't know the story behind this. I didn't look into it as much as I should have, but I mean, I assume you guys noticed that the main vampire Shane is a Sutherland. Yes. Yes. I, I have no <laughs> idea how, how far removed he is from Kiefer. He looks more like Donald than he does Kiefer. Yes, he Sutherland. is Kiefer's half-brother, and so he is a, a, a Donald Sutherland's son, but oh. from a different mother. Oh, oh, I didn't realize. Okay, I thought he was Kiefer's son, so he. Me isn't... too. Okay, so it's actually Kiefer's brother. I thought he was like Kiefer's son or Kiefer's like nephew. I mean, there's something. a pretty big age um, difference for sure. It seems like a son that Donald had perhaps later in life, and is not. Boy, yeah, is he not sense. good at acting. <laughs> I felt <laughs> bad about it. I was like, he's, oh, yeah. No. yeah. He's like Tommy Wiseau level. Like, oh. uh, I'm like, would he have an accent? I can't tell. But yeah. without the passionate outbursts so bad i would have at least enjoyed oh, that yeah. to some extent whereas what i got was so dull he was uh, to me the standout as the worst performer in the movie because i feel like you are definitely supposed to be captivated by that character and very much the yeah. opposite happened <laughs> yeah. every scene but also too like the reveal when they're vampires on the beach in this where the dude's like we're vampires like <laughs> <laughs> Definitely oh yeah, yeah. One of the funniest moments in either movie. Yeah, <laughs> and he's got he's yeah. in the vampire makeup. And the the blatant disregard for the way that the vampires looked in the first one in this, it's like they don't even try to match that. Yeah, exactly. They, they go they go for trying to do Buffy, and that looked cooler. Yeah, in the first agreed. One. Yeah, they yeah, that's true. It does totally look like Buffy, and it's also just like. What they did looks way worse than the original. Like, it's like, why? Yeah, oh like, my god. I don't understand the decision. I hated there. Shane, the it main vampire's teeth at the end. Whereas, like, they gave him what I've... Those teeth yeah. that I've now seen, I think, in so many low-budget horror movies that are, like, teeth layered on top of teeth for no reason. Because yeah. yeah. that's not what vampire's teeth looks like. That's like... <laughs> it's never has been, and it's never been in this franchise. No. There's also, in within the first 15 minutes of the movie, I thought that the main two were brother and sister, and then all of a sudden I was like, wait, are they, because of just how they were interacting with one another, I thought they might be a couple. Like, it was just so, it was just so bizarre that I, like, couldn't even figure that out while watching it. But I was <laughs> like, wait, how do these two know each other? Yeah. Like, are they related or not? It was really I, bizarre. It's just very confusing and disorienting to, like, experience. To think that this was like the most purchased DVD of 2008 yeah. or whatever. Like by January 2011, it had sold 1,250,000 copies. I felt bad about giving it a view on HBO Max, so I can't even imagine committing to buying it <laughs> and having a physical copy of it forever. Yeah, I also felt gross watching it on HBO Max, especially yeah, I'm using. I am linked into <laughs> your guys' HBO Max, so you, your account now has two viewings of that, as well as one of the thirst, yeah. which felt even grosser to me. I can't believe you went that far I with it, the thirst, as though the second one was so good, you were like, no, I gotta go to the Well, third. I wasn't excited. Like, I was kind of excited at the beginning of the tribe, 
but then it made me feel so yeah. gross that I was like, once I started thirst, it was like, but I will say, I, I, I think the thirst is better, marginally better, uh, but I don't recommend it. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't watch it, but yeah. it is marginally better. Okay. So before I move into the next segment, I do, I do want to ask before we jump off of the tribe, were there any moments or things that you liked about it? Uh, when he's like, we're vampires. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I think that's the only thing we liked because we laughed so hard. Oh, you know what? I, I, uh, even though it made no sense, I do appreciate that the, a vampire who was staked and is about, in theory, going to die, uh, grabs another vampire and tries to stake them with the stake yeah. in their own chest. I think I thought yeah, that and I cool. I also like that that's sort of um, that was a payoff for something they said in both the first one and the second one, which is that they all die in different ways, but they'll all try to take you with them, and that was really the only time you ever saw that. Oh, that's uh, true. But yeah. what I would say, I liked the I didn't necessarily think the execution was all that great, but I liked the concept that they explored in this one of the vampire underlings constantly killing each other or like stabbing each other in the guts for fun and then like putting it on on oh, tape. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it could have been done a lot better but i thought it was a fun build on vampire fun uh, i hated that <laughs> i mean again execution wise i didn't i could it should have been better i just thought concept wise at least it was at least it was something because i felt like there were some things i have to give lost boys the first one credit for for adding to the vampire genre whereas this one added nothing except for maybe that concept i will say i will say videoing your they're like skiers yeah. slash surfers and videoing yourself getting hurt is like a pretty common uh thing like usually it's like stunts uh but like these are kind of vampire equivalent of that which i will say is like probably the one thing in the movie that uh up is an updated version of the original like uh, these are vampires from the late 80s. And it's like, well, these are clearly vampires rooted in the late yeah. aughts. The only other thing I wrote down is something that I quote unquote liked, uh, or at least that just sort of got me because at a certain point I was like not expecting anything from this movie. The When she wakes up in the house and she's been left alone and she's a half vampire now, and you watch her like pacing the room, they're filming it through the... Um, window that's in the door so you see her leave frame and then you're expecting her to come back into frame and then when you see her she comes back really fast on the unexpected side of the frame mm -hmm. yeah so anyways yeah. that was yeah. just a moment that like not an important move yeah. moment in yeah. the movie at all just was like oh that a good idea look at that yeah mm -hmm. all right so then jumping into the questions that uh preface the pitches should this movie have a sequel the lost I think it's fine for it to like I should it probably not I mean I don't I think if it was going to have one it probably should have been like a couple years after the first one. yeah exactly I'm sorry I just had this vision of the screenwriter being told to just rebrand this as a lost boys movie just doing a find and replace yeah. all with werewolf <laughs> to vampire <laughs> is there is there anything that would make more sense as a werewolf uh, like maybe yeah. the stabbing each other. Uh, the full moon when they're surfing, maybe oh, that yeah. would have made more sense. When they yeah. Were well, and in this, they yeah. go out of their way to establish that it doesn't have to be a wooden stake; that you can just stab them in the heart with any sharp object. But I guess they kind of establish that in the first one without saying it. 
because Kiefer Sutherland is killed by the yeah. uh, antlers. However, supposedly yeah. the yeah. sequel that Joel Schumacher tried to get make, made in the 90s, which would have been called The Lost Girls, was about David who had been impaled on a pair of antlers and didn't disintegrate. It was about him surviving, which doesn't make any sense because the head vampire is killed at the end. But then in along with the release of The Tribe, they released a comic book miniseries called The Lost Boys Reign of the Frogs, <laughs> which uh, bridges the 20-year gap between the films, and in it, David creates Shane, the head vampire, in the tribe oh so in case you had big lingering questions okay. well there is also a 2016 comic about michael sam and the frog brothers protecting star from her sisters the blood bells so maybe oh. that was sort of based on the original premise of the lost girls i don't know yeah that's all those uh lackluster concepts being oh. established <laughs> i agree that there should not be a sequel also because the fun of the first one is sort of in its simplicity and the fact that at the end the head vampire turns out to be the mom's new boyfriend and they destroy him like that's it, it yeah it is a really i agree that it's a really simple movie and particularly i was saying too i feel like if you made this movie now there'd be like this like studio note of like well we need michael to now be the man of the house you know because like their dad's out of the picture and like we need to you know like make sure that he feels like, you know, he has this responsibility to his family. So when he starts to put them in danger, it's like crushing him. And I did write down what is up with this divorce? Because the only time it's <laughs> yeah. referred to um, in any way other than just mentioning it is she says, one of the reasons I divorced your father is because he didn't believe in the closet monster as, yeah. as like a band-aid to the kid being scared of monsters in the closet which he seems happy enough about so i was like boy did they just hate their dad i mean like and if they did fine it's just they they don't that's another thing i think they would do now is essentially like be like oh the dad was like emotionally abusive or something and now wouldn't you know it uh their his son michael is getting like tied up with these guys who are like manipulating him into yeah. doing this stuff like the only reason well and max <laughs> references like oh i'm not trying to replace your father like that's that's the notion that they that both he and lucy put on why he's behaving why he's acting out and talking about vampires and stuff they just use as like oh we are upset about the divorce but it's treated so carelessly earlier on that that it, it that stuck out to me as something that was strange okay so then you know, normally I ask sequel or prequel. My answer to that would be, I guess, sequel, just because I, like, I like the simplicity of the story. I'm not super interested in any of the backstory. Like, I feel like where I become interested in the story at all is with, with and because of these main characters. I mean, there, I think there is the argument that, you know, you could do a prequel as easy as a sequel if it's right. just about the vampires, you know. You know, some other story in that town, I suppose, or something. But yeah, I, I agree, though. I don't I mean, really think it's... Yeah, I mean, seeing as, at least for me, and I think Kiefer Sutherland does a good job, but I'm less interested in that part of the story than the family. So maybe you could do a prequel about the divorce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where you know it's just... We joked about that last night, where you just finally get the backstory. Of yeah. just, just Emerson versus Emerson. Uh, yeah, yeah. As mentioned before, we have a guest judge today. 
His name is Brooks Hall. He is a writer, actor, self-proclaimed partial clown, and an occasional collaborator of mine, as well as a great guy. Brooks, thanks for being here. How are you? Hey, good, man. Thanks for inviting me. This is uh, this will be fun. I'm a huge Lost Boys fan. Uh, I saw it when I was I'm 12, and um, kind of a funny story. Uh, my parents, every Saturday night, would have a babysitter. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one babysitter I had a huge, huge crush on. And uh, one of the nights she came over to babysit my brother and I, who's two years younger than me. Um, she turned on HBO and, you know, Saturday night back then, I think it was Channel 15 was like the movie. The movie came on at like eight o'clock or seven or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, the lights are out. We're watching HBO and The Lost Boys comes on and I'm 12 and. There's a scene, I think, when the vampires on the beach walk or some part in the film, early in the film, they, they have their motorcycles. And uh, and then it's, you know, later in the film uh, as well. But I think it was like mid to later in the film, they're on their motorcycles. And outside my street, I hear motorcycles going down my street. And I literally... Um, shat my pants like it was it was the scariest for 12 for a 12 year old it was it was horrifying and uh i wanted to you know be the the cool kid for my babysitter but i think i just ran out of the room and literally ruined my underwear because i was that scared no i mean everything about that it it just it all joel schumacher isn't one of my favorite directors but I think he just knocked that out of the park. I, I love horror gothic vampire flicks, but it's one of the few vampire movies that it doesn't try to give any humanity to these teen vampires at all. I mean, they're just killers on the loose, which is kind of funny. I mean, it's it's like a horror comedy, mm. but um, anyways, I'll stop talking. Um, mm. I, I yeah, I mean, Paul knows I love the film, so yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> you should be thankful that you did not watch the Street to DVD yeah. sequel. The tribe, it's horrible. Yeah, and, but based on your babysitter story, I can relate specifically to how scary that must have been because in the movie they make such a great use of the motorcycles themselves as a, a horror image. Like the yeah. the motorcycles are outside of the house, the lights are shining, the sound of the motorcycles. It, it's an unseen horror that you know that they use a couple times very effectively. So I think we can relate to twelve year old Brooks there at least a little bit. Um, Thank you, thank you, Help, yeah. helping my ego out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So uh, being a Lost Boys aficionado, I hope you like what we've got to offer here. Uh, do you guys want to go first? Do you want me to go first? I think we'll go first if you want. I feel, I think you liked it the most of all of us, Brooks. So I got to say, I'm a little nervous to pitch to you. (laughs) (laughs) My turn. Okay, so um, we're going to save the reveal for our title for the end of our pitch. Um, As am I. Yes. Okay, yeah. Um, so essentially I'll kind of like do the wind up here and Steve's going to kind of really get into pitching the actual play by play of the story. But I think the thing that stood out to us while we were watching the lost boys is how vampire stories have traditionally kind of been timeless. Like we even just watched mm-hmm. interview with the vampire last mm-hmm. weekend and, and that movie feels like it could have been made like two years ago. Not really like with the exception of maybe him like recording on, you know, a tape for his interview. Like it's. It's like it's got this like quality where it feels like it is timeless, as most vampires movies do. 
And, sure. But this one actually feels like firmly planted in its release time frame of 1987. Like it's like, whoa, this is like a vampire story that very much takes place in that time. Right. So the idea and the first one that like what seduces the youth is like arcades and video stores and boardwalks needs to be updated for a millennium audience. So <laughs> naturally our sequel is going to take place in a fictional Silicon Valley with a social media backdrop. Um, nice. And to kind of like to set the stage for it, Michael is now a dad and his daughter sucks. We put in all caps. <laughs> and like to, <laughs> to personify this, like we said, think of any of the kids from Euphoria if you happen to have seen that show. It's one look at her and anyone over the age of 30 starts to stress out. So it's like that's what he has. Um, and so in the same way that Lost Boys was kind of told from both the perspective of Anne Michael and Sam, his brother, this mm -hmm. film we want to be told from the perspective of Michael and his daughter, who we're also going to name Euphoria, to, just so you never forget <laughs> that that is wow. what you should be yeah, It's just shorthand awesome. for uh, what you should be picturing in your head. Um, so I, yeah, I, so I it, assume she's, I'm sorry, I assume she is Michael and Star's daughter, correct? We did not okay. actually specify her mom, no, but, we'll we but we'll tell you why right now. So, um, Steve will okay, so Euphoria is a college freshman who has recently lost her mother. Um, uh, and Michael starts to notice that his daughter is withdrawing from life. She was once a lively, outgoing person, but as she starts her freshman year of college, things have started to change. She's become moody and hates spending time with her dad or at home. And he's worried that there's, he's worried that more than just her grief, uh, she's falling in with a, a bad influence, a bad crowd. Meanwhile, Sam, her uncle, uh, will in this movie is like part frog brothers, part grandpa equivalent to, in this movie. Um, <laughs> And he insists to Michael that it must be vampires. Uh, and by the way, he lives in their garage unit uh, off their house. And he's, kind of, he's kind of a loser. Uh, the vampires in the first movie kind of traumatized him a little bit. Uh, but yeah, he insists it must be vampires. But Michael's like, no way. It's just she's grieving. Uh, so Euphoria, she wants to escape what she sees as her dull life. Uh, she knows life now... Recently, especially because of her mother, she knows life is fleeting and she wants to live. So she's just starting school at uh, college in the Bay Area and she's questioning, is this really what she wants? It's a it's a small school not far from where she grew up, uh, where she lives, still lives with her dad. Uh, we'll call it Santa Carla University. And yes, it's both a it's on the beach and in Silicon Valley. The murder <laughs> capital of the world. And it's the murder capital of the world. So it doesn't nice. really make a, a ton of sense, but since it's fictional Santa Carla, it works for us. She goes to school where everyone there is just resigned to one simple fact. Uh, yeah, I'm probably just going to work in Silicon Valley. So it feels like she's surrounded by people who are just on this tr one tra this straight track, uh, like they're the walking dead all around here until someone new comes along and offers her a chance to really live. The mysterious new friend at her school, he can't give her meaning, a meaningful life. That's an illusion. But what he can give her is time to find it. There's no pressure. There's no more rush. There's no more feeling like you're trapped. You have all the time in the world to figure out what you want and whatever you want to do until then. So naturally, she becomes... Uh, an online influencer. <laughs> uh, she she starts, because she has all the time in the world, she starts just kind of, and she's in that transition place in uh, youthful, of, our, of her youth, um, that she just starts wasting her time on like 
online, uh, posting and liking and retweeting. Uh, she gets somewhat of a following, but she builds nothing. Her soul is wasting away. Like a diet consisting solely of junk food. She feels good at the moment, but terrible overall. And this is what her father, uh, this is what Michael is picking up on. Um, she's failing in school, but uh, at least her social media empire is thriving, which means basically nothing. Um, so this this is sort of building to this point where uh, this new guy who's kind of cool in her, uh, who's seducing her with their fun lifestyle of just not giving a fuck, he takes her to the Golden Gate Bridge uh, and basically says, hey, yeah, you're gonna, we're gonna have a cool night. We're gonna take some cool pictures and you're gonna get some posts. And, <clears throat> but when she gets there, what she sees is that he and his friends aren't just uh, hanging out and posing uh, for some cool photos on the Golden Gate Bridge. They're jumping off of it, echoing the scene from the first movie. And she's horrified <laughs> until she realizes they don't fall, they're flying. Um, her uncle Sam was right. They're vampires and the time has come to join them. And she, of course, is like, this is awesome. And she uh, initially drinks their blood and, and becomes a half fire vampire like them. But then uh, through the course of the movie uh, has a similar journey as Michael in the first one to realizing, oh, no, this is bad. I don't want this. And it all builds to a ending that's that echoes the original with um Michael, Sam, and Euphoria, all sort of Home Alone style booby trapping their house uh, to prepare for an onslaught of vampires, modern vampires. Um, so we just jotted down a few notes of things we, we thought would be fun to see in a Home Alone style uh, uh, vampire traps. Um, a chandelier made of all wooden stakes to drop on them. Uh, <laughs> I like the idea of holy water ice cubes that they throw on the ground like marbles <laughs> and the vampires are slipping and like falling down. And like, Ouch, yo! Uh, that's probably a little too wacky. Um, holy water, uh, getting a priest to bless the fire sprinkler uh, and uh, basically just a lot of holy water for the most part. So, but in the final, in this final battle at the house, the cool vampire fights Euphoria because she's a half vampire. So it's similar to the Kiefer-Michael uh, battle, um, but different location. So hopefully still fresh and fun. Uh, they do a battle while Sam is running around the house with Michael, setting off the awesome Home Alone style fire traps. Uh, the other vampires corner Michael at one point and Sam tosses him the bottle of vampire blood, which they stole off one of the vampires that they killed. And they're like, you know what you have to do, Michael. And Michael chugs the whole bottle of blood and he turns into a vampire too. Like, so it's back to, and he's basically like, I've done this before. And he fights, he has to t fight two vampires uh, against one. And it's intercut with Euphoria fighting the leader. So it's a lot of hissing and flying around and smashing each other into things. Uh, Michael wins, beats his two vampires. Euphoria beats her, the, the big, the main vampire that seduced her in the beginning. But then they revealed the big bad guy who is the head of a Silicon Valley company that like was at their school in the beginning, trying actively trying to recruit kids like specifically Euphoria uh, to come work as a programmer for his company. We'll call him uh, Jack Dorsey. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Michael, Michael says he didn't invite him in. And then he says something cheesy like, it's in your user agreement. Yes. Uh, <laughs> So he, he claims to be a proponent of free speech and smashing the system and disrupting. But at the end of the day, he's really just a businessman and his business is blood. 
And that's when he grabs Sam and bites him in the neck and he uh, drains him. And uh, Euphoria flies at him, attacking him. No, Uncle Sam. And Michael is also a vampire still, so he flies at him. And then it's two vampires on one again, but this vampire is impossibly powerful. And he, he's easily tossing them around and fighting them, like, laughing while he's doing it maniacally because he he's... They, they stand no chance. And he's like, he gives a big speech where he tells them they don't stand a chance against him. He's been draining people for years, sucking the life out of them without ever having to spill a drop of blood. And of course, he's talking about uh, his his company, uh, psychically zapping right. them. And then right after he says, without ever spilling a drop of bloodline, a voice from behind him says, until now, he turns and stabs. Sam is a vampire because he's been bitten. He stabs him in the heart uh, and kills the main vampire. And the, every, the day is saved, but they all haven't yet turned back into humans. So as the sun uh, starts to dye the uh, sky blue, as the, as the rising sun is approaching, Sam and Michael ask, are we going to turn back? That we're, uh, there's, we killed the main vampire. Are we going to turn back to humans? And Euphoria walks out into the rising daylight it's not yet day, but it's getting there. And she just says, we will. And that's the end. <laughs> so we have like a lot of Whoa. social commentary in there mixed with a lot of absurdity. What is the title of this? Film? Oh, yeah. yeah. Got the title. <laughs> so, uh, you go ahead. No, you can say it because you found it. Uh, Lost Boys Fang, but Fang is spelled F-A-A-N-G. So it, which uh, is a is an acronym used for the big Silicon Valley uh, companies: Facebook, Apple, Amazon, uh, Netflix, and Google. Uh, their nickname is Fang, and we were like, "Yeah, that works perfect." <laughs> Vampires have Fang. Yeah. <laughs> equal parts cheesy and equal parts uh, applicable. Applicable. Yeah. I'm I'm at a loss for words there. That, that's pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty extreme. Pretty awesome. <laughs> I like the uh, the cliffhanger ending the sort of like open to interpretation yeah. ending yeah we were trying to get metaphorical with it like will society ever pull themselves out of where we are with yeah social media? who knows well also you kept commenting on how insane the name euphoria is but i don't know who the mother was i guess but if it was star not too far of a leap that's true yeah, yeah, that's we'll true. say it was star we hadn't thought about who the mother was but yeah. it does make sense that it would be her it's an old family name michael uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay well i'll roll into mine you think you really know what's happening around here don't you well i'll tell you something you don't know shit buddy this is about 10 years later 10 to 15 years later both lucy and sam have moved out of santa clara so while they might have appearances in the movie like with phone calls and stuff they're not a part of the main plot and grandpa has died Michael and Star are married with two boys of their own, John and Arthur. Arthur is six, John is ten. Laddie, the little boy who was a captive of the vampires in the first movie, is now a grown man, played by Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, and Brilliant. I like and where this is going. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, and their next door neighbor, who has recently adopted a young girl named Cassidy, whose parents, under mysterious circumstances, lost her parents. Turns out, getting right into it, that Cassidy is a vampire. One night, mm -hmm. Cassidy visits the boys, John and Arthur, outside of their second story window. 
Artie, as he goes by, is mesmerized by the little girl's ability to fly and tries to wake his brother, but John refuses to be bothered. John goes back to sleep. Artie joins her for a night out. The next morning, while Artie sleeps in, John tells his parents about Artie trying to wake him up to see the flying girl the previous evening. Expecting them to laugh it off, Michael and Star instead become deadly serious. Because this sounds familiar. Nice. After talking to Artie, they invite Laddie and Cassidy over for dinner, sort of mirroring the Max scene with the garlic, where they're sort of trying to get a read on her. They take Laddie aside and tell him their theory that she is a new head vampire in town. He refuses to believe them and storms out with her in tow. That night, Cassidy comes back to the boy's window again, but finds that John this time has them locked and is keeping watch over Artie. She leaves them alone, and they watch her leave with a small group of other children. Ooh, creepy. Thanks. Uh, Laddie <laughs> begins to, no to notice some things that concern him about Cassidy, so he sort of starts to believe the theory. Annoyed that her adoptive father is on to her, she notices that he is attracted to a woman in town and turns her into a vampire in hopes of bringing him over to their side. Sort of almost like as Star was to Michael in the first one. She is mm -hmm. the bait to Laddie. And it works. Meanwhile, Michael and Star are dealing with Artie going through the familiar changes of being a half-vampire like Michael was. They seek out the Frog Brothers, who are still in town, for help. Not only have the Frog Brothers grown into expert vampire hunters, but inspired by Michael's hesitance to embrace vampirism back in the days of the first one, they have built a half-vamp rehabilitation center of sorts. Like a, you know, it's like a, it's like a lower-end operation, but it's where they help people struggling to fight the vampirism in their blood. Apparently, they originally built it with the help of Grandpa, who used his taxidermy resources slash <laughs> access to terminally ill animals to get them started with a blood supply that's been a steady, steady stream of food for these bloodsuckers. It's been running for a while now, and they've tr been trying to locate the head vampire so that they can end it all, but they haven't been able to yet. Uh, Michael asks why they never did anything normal with their lives, like become cops. The brothers scoff at this idea. <laughs> cops. The Frog Brothers confront the vampire kids one night, whose group has now grown in size since we last saw them from Artie and John's window. They make their pitch to the kids that they can bring them back to their rehab center and sort of help them, but the kids are unmoved and seem really like cold about it especially Cassidy. Finding themselves flanked on all sides, the brothers have no choice but to defend themselves. What follows is a sequence of the grown-up frog brothers fighting a small army of children. Uh, <laughs> police arrive to break this up. The frogs lose the battle but escape with their lives. The police, however, do not. <laughs> Cops. Anyway, the, the Emersons now find themselves with a family of vampires next door, now that Laddie and his vampire lady are inseparable. They decide that it might be best to move from Santa Carla after all this trouble. A decision that does not go over well with Artie, who has grown to absolutely love Cassidy and would miss her too much. So that night, Artie runs away, and John goes looking for him. This brings John face-to-face -face with the vampire crew. 
Here it's revealed that Cassidy is hundreds of years old. Artie loves her for giving him the yummy drink that makes him feel good. She <laughs> offers it she she offers it to John, telling him that he never has to grow up. John replies that killing people seems like a pretty grown-up thing to him. And she says, don't knock it till you tried it. Michael and Star discover that the boys are missing, and they go to Laddie for help finding them. He and his new girlfriend are acting weird. Laddie invites them in and offers to make tea for everyone. Star is the first to try it, and her behavior very quickly begins to change. She starts to get really sexy with the vampire couple, asking why it feels so good and better than it ever did before. Laddie comments, because Max was a child, Cassidy is an ancient. So basically, her blood is far more powerful and potent. Oh, I see. Um, Michael observes enough not to drink the tea, but instead asks for a glass of water, which he blesses before throwing it in Laddie's face. He grabs the still-changing star and locks her in the bathroom, or some room, a closet or something, while he, he prepares to take down the vamps. He dispatches both of them, first the lady, then Laddie himself, but then is left to face Star, who is crazed and hungry for Michael's flesh. He can't bring himself to attack or defend against her, and just as she's about to dig in, she can't bring herself to do it either. Moving back over to the kids, the kids have come to an orphanage, where the plan is to kill the adults and recruit the children. Artie is set to make his first kill, while John is being pressured to drink Cassidy's blood. But it turns out the Frog Brothers have anticipated this and set up an ambush. They activate enormous UV lights, creating a perimeter that the kids can't walk through. Cornering Cassidy, the frogs offer to let her go if she'll leave Santa Carla, saying that they'll care for the children and she can build a new kids club somewhere that's not in their town. She says she won't leave without Artie, to which Edgar replies, not gonna happen. So then Cassidy like freaks out, sort of lets her true power show, killing Alan Frog, and then turning to kill Edgar. Artie is the one to stop her from going further by agreeing that he'll go with her if she'll save Alan. So she does so by feeding him her blood. We see her like cut open her arm and feed Alan her blood, uh, which heals up his wound. And then they, Cassidy and Artie, fly off together. Months later, Star and Alan are now enrolled in Edgar's rehabilitation program because they're still half vampires and peace appears to reign in Santa Carla. Artie returns home and brings Cassidy with him. Michael brings them both to the rehab center. Star is overjoyed to see her son, but the Frog Brothers are shocked to see Cassidy. Michael encourages Edgar to keep going with his lesson, but Edgar argues, but she's a vampire. To which Artie says, no, she's an Emerson now. And that's uh, that's mm. the end. I call it the lost child. Oh, yeah. nice. nice. So they're little ankle biters. Yeah, and uh, she, I guess, is sort of won over by the. Uh... <laughs> uh, I was like, "Thank you very much." Try the veal. Yeah, <laughs> I like um, that uh, your pitch really shits on cops, and ours really shits on tech. It's the like, two things destroying the world right now. <laughs> yeah. It seems like these are very much pitches of the time in which we exist. Well, that's part of the yeah. thing. That's part of Lost Boys, I feel like. Yeah, I guess that's true.
true. Yeah. I liked, I really like your rehabilitation angle. Like the idea that the Frog Brothers have expanded their, you know, empire into like that as well, which is pretty cool. I also like using that to sort of address the idea of whether or not there's been vampire activity in all this time between the movies and that yeah. there's sort of yeah. like has, has, but they're on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, are we doing a drum roll or how are we going to do this? You're welcome to present it however you want. Well, I thought they both sucked. No, okay. uh, they're, 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 I thought they're both really creative. I love the the booby trapped house in the first one. <laughs> yeah, the uh, holy water ice cubes, uh, and I also love the uh, chandelier with the stakes mm -hmm. on top of them. That's a very very nice touch. I would have liked maybe a little bit more fire, just to have some fire in there. Oh man. Uh, I did I did note down, uh, but did not say it. Um, ice sword and then i was like wait why do you need it or a holy water ice sword and i was like you could just use a stick honestly they're both a tie i mean i hate to be that person but it's like <laughs> one's more of an adult story one's more of a kid's story I mean, unless are there ties or no? No, I've got to pick. No, one, we've right? we've had some ties. We've had some ties. Uh, yeah. All right, I'm gonna break somebody's heart. I'm gonna break somebody's. I'm, I'm <laughs> going with Paul's. I'm going with Paul's. Oh, oh. Good night, blood sucker. Paul did a good job. I like Paul's a lot. Yeah, I think Paul's does a good job too of really being a continuation of the first one, whereas ours takes some bigger leaps. Yeah. Well, yeah. We, I, we I will say, like your guy, your the 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 the, the Fang one was. I was actually laughing really yeah. hard, so it was like definitely more of a comedy. Paul, Paul's the kids at the window. I mean, dude, that's creepy. Your imagination's like, mm -hmm. I don't want to go in it. No. Like, I really don't want to go in your imagination. So it's it's awesome. I love it. Bra bravo ah well thank you paul it's interesting because to some extent you went the doctor sleep angle where you made the kid <laughs> and the adult and then brought in a new kid uh and then delivered on some of the original intention of the original script so who who would direct both your films if you had to pick a direct paul who would direct your oh film? boy that's interesting yeah, I mean, I, and just trying to think of who has the sort of right kind of sensibility outside of Joel Schumacher yeah. is tough. I mean, like my first thought was maybe Robert Zemeckis because there's so much yeah kid stuff in it that 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 sort of fun angle could work out. Be a good one. So yeah, yeah I'll go we, with that. For ours, uh, I think Katie really thinks thinks it'd be fun to have Mick G direct it. It sounds like it's in that world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I don't know if that would be my go-to. I wouldn't to. actually want to go to the um, G. But yeah. Fentry, yeah, the Fentry would be good. Catherine Bigelow, you know, they're good. Yeah, one. those were actually the two that I was thinking when I was like, Catherine Bigelow or, or because I don't know if either of them could do uh, Holy Water Ice Cubes and pull it off. No. Mick G could. There are those goofy sequences in Home Alone, but those are yeah. uh, pretty expertly directed movies. Maybe you bring Chris Columbus back. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be awesome. I would be very happy with Chris Columbus directing. I don't think Chris Columbus could do the edginess of it, though, could he? We'll just set it at Christmas, and then it'll totally be a Chris Columbus. Oh, yeah. Christmas <laughs> movie. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, Christmas movie. Actually, awesome. a lot of... How about uh, Shane Black? He loves his uh, gory Christmas action stuff. I mean, yeah. that, that yeah. checks a lot of those those boxes. For sure. And I think he worked a lot with Warner Brothers, right? So perfect, because Lost Boys is a Warner Brothers uh, property. Oh, yeah. They there you definitely go. let him uh, direct it, for sure. So it took a little while to get there, but I think Shane, Shane Black. Black. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Cool. Well, um, 
yeah, this was fun, and this and thank you for doing this, Brooks. I I hope you got a little bit of fan fiction delight from from hearing some versions of w what could have been a definitely both were a better part two than the part two and three that exist. Avoid the sequel like a vampire avoids sun. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, I will do. Uh, well, that was uh, yeah, that was fun. Thanks for thanks for inviting me, and uh, it was fun reliving uh, the the twelfth year. It was it was very traumatizing that night. So uh, it, was, it was good. It's good. Well, it's good to have that story out there. Hopefully, your babysitter. That's actually it's not. It's yeah, not yeah. good to have the story out there. So it's just, gonna... definitely not. I don't know why I did this. On the next follow-up showdown. The movie we are talking about today is the 2003 disaster piece, The Room. My guests, Aaron Marie Hogan and Nick Gardner. It's a combination of passion and drive and complete <laughs> lack of talent. Awful in a person, but fabulous about Tommy Wiseau.